I can send you a request um, for you to pay me. I can embed in that request the details I need to uh, include in my accounting system when you make the payment. So rather than just seeing a payment coming in, I've got all of that data that I've given to you as part of the request that allows me to automate that process. On today's show, David Chance from Fiserv, their VP Strategy and Innovation, is talking all about payments, especially around requests to pay and what we can do with data. This is Tech Talks. It's your twice-weekly tech podcast with myself, David Savage, where we talk to leaders from across the industry and try and bring you a little bit of tech news. I was about to give you some shit about your haircut. I was about to say, <laughs> hopefully it's not a video call, mate, with that barnet. But... <laughs> Cheers, mate. <laughs> Akish? In the office, enjoying aircon. I am. Taking a piss out of my hair. How yeah. are you? Very good, mate. Very good. Uh, I can't help the fact that I'm back in isolation, so therefore I've been resorting to, to home haircuts again. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's, it's, it's like going back a few months and everyone was looking at each other's hair, right? And um... Except I'm the only one now. <laughs> yeah. But that'll, that'll soon change, mate. No worries. Uh, yeah, are you enjoying enjoying the office? Um, splendid isolation. You, you what? Two hundred odd a floor for two hundred odd people, and how many people are there? Uh, four. Oh, nice. Yeah, four. And uh, if if you count our our lovely cleaner Thomas, uh, who a lot of people that work in our office would know who he is, uh, make it up five. So yeah, um, but it's good, mate. And also, to be honest, the aircon is is saving my life at the moment because working at home, yeah, it's good, but not when it's 30 odd degrees outside humid so, so here's a question right you've got access to showers downstairs yeah L- looking at where you're sat people obviously on the on the podcast won't know this but akish is just around the corner from a nice comfy sofa yeah you got some air con you're just going to spend the night there mm, probably not no nah. i could do you know and also take advantage of the uh, government eat out to help out scheme to be fair there you go. You'd be doing the country a favour, yeah. And you'd have a nice, pleasant night, not 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 just sweating in bed. <laughs> exactly, and uh, and keep the bosses happy to show my commitment to coming to the office. Yeah, mate. I was working till ten. Yeah, and I was yeah. back there at seven. Hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent. We'll come back to this topic. It's an inter- there's 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 some interesting stuff to talk about it. Uh, however, we will jump to today's interview with David Chance from Fiserv. Going to be talking all about request to pay. ISO 222. Um, so it's all about payments again, which stands to reason it's a very hot topic at the minute. And then we'll have some commentary afterwards. So on today's show, we are returning to Fiserv, a company that we were speaking to just a few short weeks ago when we had Andrew Davis join the show. Today, we're do- joined by David Chance, uh, VP for Payments Strategy. How are you today, David? I'm fine, thank you. And yourself? Not too bad. Enjoying the lovely weather. Uh, after a, a brief hiatus, it feels like the UK's finally got its mojo back with regards to summer, which is good. Um, yes, unfortunately not up here in the uh, the north of the country. Where, whereabouts in the north are you? We're up uh, near Chester, just on the wrong side of the Chester. Pennines. That's your problem. I know. I am a Yorkshireman, <laughs> so. <laughs> Well, at least we at least we can agree that you're the wrong side of the Pennines. Anyway, um, yeah, look, I, we're obviously really keen to talk to you. But before we get into the conversation around payments, if anyone hasn't listened to the earlier podcast with Andrew, do you mind just just quickly reminding us what Fiserv do and who you are as a business? Yeah, certainly. So Fiserv's one of the world's leading payments and financial technology providers. Um, our, our clients include financial institutions. 
corporations and merchants. And we're here to help clients achieve best-in-class results with a commitment to innovation and excellence in all areas around account processing, digital banking solutions, card issuing, uh, network services, uh, e-commerce, merchant acquiring, and of course, payments, which is uh, my area of focus. Um, we've got, uh, we support clients across 100, com uh, 100 countries, um, and we've got approximately 40,000 uh, associates across the world. Um, focusing really on uh, those financial institutions and uh, millions of businesses of, of all sizes and shapes. It's a really interesting time to talk about payments because the one thing that obviously has been very clear during the course of the pandemic is the move, the big concerted move away from using cash for obvious reasons and shops trying to push people to use contactless where they can. Uh, we've seen the, the lift on the cap for um, contactless payments. Um, but funnily enough, I still always think of London in particular, but the UK being at the forefront of fintech. But you, when we were prepping for this, we're talking about the fact that actually Europe's at the forefront and the UK is is playing catch up. And I suppose if I think of the Scandi countries when it comes to payments, maybe that, that does fit with the narrative and I'm being a little bit naive. Where exactly are Europe making headway where the UK needs to kind of think a little bit more for, uh, pro progressively, I suppose. Yeah, well, we're in a very exciting period of change uh, at the moment in payments um, with the evolution of payment capabilities. And we're seeing a convergence of instant real-time payments, um, the open banking, open APIs, and um, with the new request to pay scheme uh, coming along this year. That Those three elements are really pulling together um, and with the underpinning of very rich um, data, um, we're getting to see a lot of innovation and rapid expansion um, of electronic payments. And that's being driven um, in Europe um, through uh, the EPC with the, the focusing on getting the SCT INT scheme up and running. We've got the SEPA request to pay scheme coming along this year. Um, and that's all underpinned by the ISO 222 data set. So it's a very rich uh, set of data that we've been using in Europe for a long time. And I think. Sorry, to, to jump in, I'm familiar with ISO standards. I'm not familiar with ISO 222. So when you're talking, what, what, what specifically does that mean? ISO 222 is a common language for financial institutions and financial data. It allows us to use a common set of terms for every part or every element of a, of a payment itself. But instead of just having basic information such as account number, bank identifier, you can actually um, include a lot of rich data from everything from invoices to why the payment is being uh, made to all of the different parties uh, in a payment chain. So usually there's more than sort of me paying you. It may be me paying somebody to pay you um, your salary. All of that type of information can be included in the payment along with you know a long raft of reference information that is useful for me uh, when I reconcile, reconcile the payments themselves, to being able to automatically apply those. So we're seeing that very, very rich data set providing a lot more automation um, to reduce the risk, 
to improve the information flows themselves. And I think that's what ties it into things like request to pay. I can send you a request um, for you to pay me. I can embed in that request the details I need to um, include in my accounting system when you make the payment. So rather than just seeing a payment coming in, I've got all of that data that I've given to you as part of the request that allows me to automate that process. But it, it works even at a, a consumer level. If I walk into a, a shop, um, I could get a automated proximity uh, request to pay from the, the merchant's till, which is a lit uh, literally a request to say my mobile phone to say, these are the items you're purchasing, please make this payment. I can then hit a you know a pay button, um, and that payment goes automatically into the merchant systems, um, reconciling the the payment itself, reconciling the information, but also acting as a digital receipt. So if I need to return that item, the merchant has full details of where it was purchased, when it was purchased, how it was purchased, and can automate the um, the exception process. Or if I need to, to um, claim on a guarantee, that information is already there, available um, and stored automatically. And I think this is where it gets really interesting um, in what you can do with, with that data. Out of interest, you, you talked about institutions pulling together and you talked about rich data. I would perhaps wrongly assume, therefore, that the organizations that have got access to huge data sets and maybe some of the legacy and enterprise organizations, if they've got that data, if they can make sense of that data, stand well to to kind of um, to, to, to do well in the current climate. But is that the case? If you kind of look across financial institutions and how they're working together, who is benefiting right now from the progress that's being made due to the current set of circumstances that the world's facing and and what can what can fintechs do to collaborate better that's a very good question i think what we've seen in um certainly in the payments environment for financial institutions is that they have a lot of legacy systems and a lot of that data um is very specific to a system or a payment type or a payment instrument and it's not shared and it's very difficult to normalize that data after um, it's been created. I talk a lot about you know, data being useless unless you understand the context in which that data was generated, and that gives you information. A lot of the legacy systems have data, but they don't have the context in which that data was generated. So what we're seeing is that a lot of the fintechs in, and uh, the, the payments environment are using that rich data of ISO 222, because it's a standard language, to start to pull together the context alongside the data itself to give you that information, to be able to use that information. If I serve uh, at EPP, we have um, a payment services hub approach where we actually normalize all of the payment information as it comes into the system. We'll, along with the, the context in which we gathered that data, again, to provide that information. And, and that's where you, you start to get the real benefits um, of the approaches we, we, we push forward. So you know, the, the product EPP, Enterprise Payment Platform, 
is ambivalent to the payment types. Um, payments are made no matter what channel, what device, or who actually initiated the payment. And we normalize that into a, uh, into a, um, into a, a holistic data store. Um, along with the context. And, and that's why I think it's really interesting, exciting to see how we're, we're making that evolution because you've got things like request to pay on top of that rich data, but you've also got the open APIs that um, and open banking, which are based on that data itself. Um, so that, you know, when I do go into a merchant and I do receive the request to pay, I could actually have that merchant app and and click the pay button or say pay, and that that merchant actually in, initiates the payment themselves on my behalf with my bank. So I've given that merchant or that brand permission to initiate payments, which is part of the the open banking um, frameworks, and that they can then initiate uh, initiate that on on my behalf. Maybe adding in a, a loyalty layer, uh, layer so they can reduce. You know the the actual um, dollar euro sterling amount by using some of the the loyalty on that, and that starts to get really really interesting when you then add in the the instant payment element, because that payment is made, it's final. The merchant uh, has received that uh, that payment as soon as I've made the uh, the decision to to pay. Now you you've talked about um, prior, prior to hitting record. In, in conversation, you've talked about backwards innovation. Yes. Before I ask anything further, what do you mean by backwards innovation? It, it's a, a strange term. Everybody, when I talk to um, them about innovation, has always been along, you know, what is the next device coming along? What is the next way of interacting? So when you talk about innovation in payments, it's about mobile, it's about voice, it's about wearables, it's about you know, conversation. I think when we look at uh, inclusion, we have to take a look at some of the um, some of the devices or some of the way of interaction that we've already got. So really looking backwards and using those um, those ways of paying, those ways of interaction in an innovative way. You know, we we talk about um, inclusion in terms of well, I don't have a smartphone. Well. You know, with request to pay, you could actually turn that into a QR code and print it on a sheet of paper and post it to the receiver. The receiver could then go in and pay cash over the counter at a post office. The counter can scan that QR code and they've now got the full details as though it was an electronic transaction. They've got the details that the receiving organization needs to identify the person making the payment, how they need to, to implement um, the payment when they receive it in their accounting systems. So innovation backwards is saying, let's not forget of all the good things we've had in, in the past, because a lot of them may be repurposed, reimagined um, to actually solve some of the problems that we're seeing today. Um, out of interest of financial institutions, are they doing this? Because, you know, you, we do see the push towards contactless through mobile devices. And what yes. you're describing with the QR code sounds fabulous, especially potentially for people in socioeconomic circumstances where they might not have reliable access to data or smartphone or whatever else. Um, 
is I can understand why people would be would be talking about inclusion and, and fingers crossed the message is getting through, but are necessarily people at the top listening? I think so. And you know, we, we are seeing um, schemes like this uh, around the world. Some of them are in a, a, a sort of a more forward position. Um, but you know, we are having those conversations. We are talking about how we have to um, look at ensuring that everybody is uh, is taken care of. You know, we saw a lot around the um, the contactless payments, the prepaid cards, and the contactless PIN uh, environment within a sort of a smartphone out in, in the US, North America. We've seen the, the rise of Apple Pay, um, Samsung Pay in, in Europe. Out in the Middle East, um, where there's a more sort of transient um, labor force, we are starting to see more of the, how do we get into simpler text-based um, phones? And you know, potentially, how do we get, you know, repurpose the, the, the paper um, stationary element? So, Yes, there's a lot of talk. There's a lot of, of pilots uh, around this. Um, and I think the um, the virus uh, epidemic has really focused um, the thought process um, on this space. And, you know, one of the big uh, areas has been, you know, the reduction in cash. Cash has a, or used to have a great value in terms of its ubiquity. Everybody and anybody would would be uh, accept cash. That's fundamentally different now. You know, you go out um, now that the shops are open and try and spend cash. Most shops are still uh, stating that they will take card only or card payments. You know, we delivered cash to um, those in, in real need, but the problem was those in real need were the ones who were self isolating and Is, therefore couldn't use cash. Just have interest then. I mean, is there an opportunity here for retailers to to th- reimagine tokens and loyalty schemes? I notice now that Tesco, when I go to my local Tesco, the, the contactless uh, limit is, is £45. However, I think if you sign up to their club card, you can now use that, I suppose, I'm not sure if it's prepay or not. I haven't actually looked into it, if I'm honest with you, but I, I think they, they've got a, a cap on that of £150. So, or, or could schemes like that fill that void where ubiquity's been lost, or are you looking at other solutions? No, I mean that's that's a good example of of where we are starting to see that rich data used in an innovative way to to open up that inclusion. You know, they know more about you than you probably um, understand yourselves because they've seen your buying patterns. They understand your interaction with Tesco's and therefore have a better understanding of the risks that, that you have on taking that. I've seen a bigger drive in terms of the, the mobile um, apps because there isn't a payment limit. So, you know, like me, you, you'll go in to do your, your local shopping, whether that's, you know, Sainsbury's, Waitrose, Morrison's, Asda, Aldi, Little, and... I've never had a shopping event under a hundred pounds, um, and it's so much easier just to to, to wave the, the the mobile at at it rather than you know getting your uh, contactless card out, pushing it into the device, and and typing. And I think what we're starting to see is an understanding that 
even though you're at a physical point of sale device, what you actually want is the same or even better experience that you're having in the, the virtual world. You know, I don't want to be touching a device. I don't want to be sort of standing there in a in a queue for too long. And I think we'll start to see those two environments come together and that we will make payments in exactly the same way, whether we're standing there or um, we're doing it virtually. Those two environments, I think we'll see a lot of innovation over the next uh, year or so, pulling them to, together. And I say, you know, that three model with that of instant, the open APIs, the open banking, um, the request to pay, all supported by that that strong, rich data. That's what's driving a lot of this innovation and, and mm-hmm. enabling the, the innovation that we're seeing. Well, look, David, it's, it's a fascinating and exciting area that's obviously going through vast change yes. at the moment. So thank you very much for your time today. Um, I hope that the sun does come out in the <laughs> northwest of England, as unlikely as that is. My wife's from Manchester, so I know it's a long time. Right, yes. Uh, <laughs> but apart from that, thanks for your time on the show. No, thank you. To be honest, there's something in here that I am completely on board with. I, for all the... Um, don't touch stuff in shops, whatever else, mm. social distancing, be as clean as you can. And then you go and you've got to touch a touch screen that you don't know who the hell's been touching it. Yeah, true. Had you true. not thought about that? Or is that me being a bit like all the way through this? I've been like, I get to, to pay for something and then I've got to go and touch a screen that every other bug has been touching. Mm. Yeah. I've, I've not, uh, yeah. But I've started to use the uh, the knuckles to to touch things. Have you have you kind of got onto that yet? So that that's what that's what I'm doing. Um, Even so, yeah. I mean, with request to pay, it does. You do question why you can't go around the shop and have some kind of system where you just put it in your bag and you pay for it like you would online because you you know most phones have scanners on them, QR scanners or whatever else. Mm-hmm. If you've got, I mean, obviously that is determined by you having your phone on you but yeah why couldn't you shop online but physically it's mental yeah. that we're not there already yeah very true but then how how would yeah that's such a good point and, and that should be very convenient and also thinking about it it would it would get people out of the house or it would help with that kind of you know not being at home especially when we were in lockdown and stuff like that mm-hmm. you actually have an activity look to, to look forward to and yeah then you can just kind of pay it at your own kind of will and from your own devices i guess i mean amazon have already got those concept stores where you don't have tills mm. so you don't have queues as david mentions no need for a queue mm. well but i think has argos got something similar um well, argos is just a shop that you know looked at the way that everyone else designed shops and decided to do it differently anyway so yeah yeah true um but yeah, I think I think that's that's definitely something worth looking into, and, and I'd be on board with that, one hundred percent. I think we've also spoken on the podcast fairly recently about the idea that there are some people, unfortunately, um, who are in a situation where they get paid on prepaid cards that they're going to only access at the post office. Mm. Um, so it was really interesting to hear this idea that you could print and send a QR code that someone could take to a post office and pay there either in cash or using their prepaid card, which is a really interesting way of trying to make sure that there isn't that, um, uh, I suppose that 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 
accidental locking out of people from various different opportunities to pay in, in safe and different ways. Yeah. But also, I, I didn't even think that was a possibility to, to kind of print out. No, and, I, and... I didn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, un- until I heard it, and I was like, really? That's the thing? And I was just like, oh, blimey. Um, wh- but one thing, and I know Faisal are very good, and we've had, you know, kind of Faisal on the show before, and they've talked about the kind of cyber uh, crime and the security mm-hmm. of things, that sort of stuff. But, I mean, all it takes is for the kind of these QR codes and, and you know, for, for things to fall in the wrong hands. And, I mean, what's the security around it? Do the, you know, Do people also have to take some sort of... How does that work? Be more risk for the shop, right? Because a, if you go to a shop and you use your card to pay for something, there's always the chance that your card could get cloned. If yeah. you're shopping effectively online, it's more secure, right? Mm, yeah. At the yeah. minute, if you're, I mean, I'd, I I think it's probably more secure paying for something on Amazon than it is in a shop that I don't normally go to. Yeah, very true. And, and the and QR it, code, well, if you if you if you're taking it physically somewhere and then paying, and it's just you scan it at the post office and it goes, you owe Tesco seventy two quid, and then someone pays some cash. Hmm. Well, there's no there's no risk to the consumer there. Yeah, very true. So but the shop is reliant on someone actually going ahead and paying for it. Yeah, exactly. So it's almost like a tab, effectively, right? Yeah, like you you just set up a, a tab for your your grocery shopping or something like that. Yeah, send me my bill once a week and I'll go settle it at the post office. Yeah, and what happens if someone racks up, you know, a few hundred thousand and then flees the country? I guess they set a limit on each tab. Yeah, exactly. Um, I hadn't thought about it as a tab. You're right. It is a bit, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's kind of like a, you know, one of those things you get in the bar and you have your little ticket and you're just kind of going up to them and go, yeah, don't worry. And you you always, I don't know, you you always feel like the, you know, the the absolute dogs if you're, You've got a tab at a bar. I don't know. It's just everyone else is kind of queuing around, waving their Monzos or waving their debit cards, trying to pay. And you always got the machine that's never working and the, the bartender's holding it at different angles, trying to get the best signal. Um, and then you've just got a tab in like, yeah, there you go. So it might it might also be a yeah, better way to I don't think I don't think a tab in Tesco would have quite the same cash rate <laughs> for you though on a kind of payoff. Um, <laughs> trying to get your milk and eggs. <laughs> yeah, I've got a tab, mate. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, stick it on 239. Yeah, cheers, mate. Uh, <laughs> but hey, look, I mean, going through that interview, there are so many. It is, it, what is surprising is you go, hang on, our shops are not making it easy to pay for stuff right now mm. in as much as we thought they might be. Mm. No, which is, which is crazy. We, we had this conversation, what, a couple of weeks ago where all the new kind of merchant systems or, or merchant kind of terminal systems that have appeared in the last few weeks, really, or this year. Um, there's one quite uh, popular one, which seems to be, you know, with, with a lot of kind of smaller shops and retailers and uh, the, the reliability isn't great. And then it, you know, when you're trying to force everyone or when you're trying to, get people's behaviors to change and, and people are trying to adopt a change and suddenly the technology or the the merchant kind of lets you down or the, the vendor lets you down and it's like it just you know throws everyone kind of away really um, but right now is is a perfect time to put new stuff in 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 the system because everyone's quite accepting and willing to try stuff 
very true. More than they would be normally. I think it's uh, some interesting points as well around uh, data. And funnily enough, in an episode in a few weeks' time, we'll be talking about data and loyalty. So David's uh, comments there around loyalty kind of pricked my ears up. But that idea that kind of legacy systems um, and the data that they collect is very specific, so it's hard to normalize that data. And obviously, data out of context is useless. So, um, yeah, very interesting to hear the idea that that they're trying to normalize data, put it into context and make it useful for organizations to really understand when and where something was bought and, you know, really kind of build a complete picture mm. of, of, of the shopper. Mm. No, exactly. And uh, it's just crazy how much, uh, when you when you kind of think about, you know, who Fiserv works with, who and what they kind of provide and the incredible amounts of data that they must have, you know, they i'm not saying that they should be open to to any kind of you know uh information breaches or people shouldn't you know if they they want to get some real life data in terms of people and their spend and you know where one individual is kind of using their money or kind of what's happening and you hear it all the time with these profiling data kind of breaches and you know kind of data being sold or being lost in inverted commas um yeah, it's just it's just ridiculous, and and it's absolutely great that they've got a platform that allows them to do that, which is which is ideal. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Forever. Look, David, thank you for being our guest on this week's show. I think with that, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll come back to a conversation that we started the entire podcast with. Uh, so um, we'll be back with you in just a moment. Welcome back to Tech Talks uh, to finish this Tuesday show. Zoom is fine, but it can't match being back in the office, writes Joanna Partridge. Um, this is an article in the, Azawa, in the Azawa, Observer, working from home. Uh, property group British Land, one of the first to allow staff back to its London HQ with lift button prodders at the ready. Lift button prodders, Akish. Did you have a Ooh. prodder on the way up today? I didn't have a prodder, no. No, no prodding. Um, but I've um, seen them being sold, actually. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's um there's a few uh shoe retailers that I like to kind of go to and I saw on their Instagram page they've they're they're handing out these accessories where you kind of just clip them into your finger and prod lifts and buttons and Maybe we should cool. all get like thimbles. Yeah, something like that. I th- I think it's yeah, I don't know what it is, but so temperature checks at reception, spaced out desks, contact contactless coffee dispensers and plastic lift button prodders. Um Space out desks, yes, to my knowledge. We haven't got temperature checks, contactless coffee, or, or as we've said, lift button prodders. What, how does contactless coffee work, though? Is it a voice, voice activated machine? Like that would, be, that would be ace, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, you have to touch it, don't you? Or, or, or is it done by an app on your phone? Like you kind of put your phone next to it and you touch your phone, do you? Something like that? Again, we're, discover- we're discovering today that there's a whole load of thing- things that are probably out there that, that we've not been exposed to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, they, obviously, they obviously exist. If someone has used a contactless coffee dispenser, how do they work? Yeah, exactly. Um, and we've got, I mean, yeah, so we've got space at desk. We've got gallons of hand sanitizer everywhere. Um, and I think we only have, obviously, certain desks available on certain days to make sure that they're cleaned and sanitized accordingly 
Interesting. Uh, yeah, which is which is good. Uh, so let, let's see if this surprises you, Akish. The UK yep. is one of the slowest European countries to get back to its feet and under the desk or get its feet back to being under the desk. Only a third, 34% of UK white-collar employees have gone back to work whilst in continental Europe. Almost three-quarters of staff, 68%, have done so. That's according to analysis from Morgan Stanley. Would you have thought that we were one of the slowest in Europe? Uh no but then also i do believe it as well because we were one of the slowest to react when it came to covid and, and lockdown and all that sort of stuff were we not yeah we were, where, we were where, where, yeah exactly so where other european countries had obviously forced lockdown and uh took certain things into effect we were slow in that kind of area so yeah Maybe we're just following suit again. Um, you know, maybe we should. Well, we're, we're out of Europe now, so maybe they, they don't they don't include us in the WhatsApp group where they tell each other what they're doing. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe Bojo's not, you know, been removed from that group by the uh, yeah by the EU Commission. But um, I don't know. We, I, I think Bojo I think, has been removed from the group. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So maybe he doesn't know what's going on with his allies in Europe. But I, I don't know. He's bring. Yeah, I mean, I, I get that there's a lot of cautiousness. There's a lot of kind of, I think it's social anxiety is the main thing that, you know, kind of is suddenly crept in with with people and groups and all that sort of thing. Mm. But well, I mean, the yeah. article is really interesting, though, because it says that some companies, so Google, it mentions NatWest have delayed a return until 2021. On the first day back in the office, British land employees were presented with a branded pouch containing a mask, a digital thermometer, and a plastic lift button pusher with a note mm. thanking them there for their commitment. So digi digital thermometer, thermometer for, for everyone. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, the, 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 the kind of the, the article is also stating that unfortunately um, the evidence suggests that, uh, that there's obvious mental health drawbacks for being at home and working in the same living space for mm. months on end. Um, there's it's it's affecting disproportionately more women hmm. um there's uh you know there's also kind of the, the the fact that there's inequality around home working is easier if you have access to screens machines bandwidth hmm. and a nice study not everyone has that hmm. um and uh it is not as easy to innovate over um zoom or whatever so cooperation innovation and different ways of working are hard to simulate even using modern communications. So I think there is a be beginning to be an argument for the office being made by more people. Hmm. I think, yeah, and, and I think um, I, I think we slowly need to get back into the habit of being comfortable around people at some point. Obviously with the newer rules and, you know, some people may be exempt with kind of other medical conditions and that sort of thing. But I agree with the the article. To be fair, Zoom's good, Teams good, but you know if you're really looking to innovate, if you're really looking to kind of step up the gas, then you all need to kind of be in together. And also, one thing I think that the article's not mentioned is the learning that you pick up from other people. Yeah. And at at home, when you're just sat by yourself, I mean, in the office, um, a few of our kind of team members, we all came in last week and did a day, and there were certain things that had happened in lockdown with each other you know, with certain clients and, and whatever that we didn't know. And, and we then learned about it because they were there. Would you have actually had that conversation if I just called some, that colleague on teams? Probably not. 
but because I overheard a conversation that he was having on the phone and then kind of was like, oh, you mentioned that. What, what did you mean? And then do, do you get what I mean? So I think it's, yeah, that, absolutely. it's that collaborative learning, which you miss out. And especially for new, I think one of the key things I think organizations have struggled with is the whole onboarding of new staff, right? During lockdown. I mean, if you're new and your first day isn't the awkward walking around the floor, you know, kind of everyone introducing themselves and you remember no one's name apart from the guy or girl that sat right next to you after day one, you know, you, you it must be absolutely, you know, kind of brutal if you were to join, I, I feel anyway, in, in, in a kind of lockdown phase. So people that are new, I think organisations should make an extra kind of effort to onboard them properly and really look to integrate them into the business. Um in, in in my opinion um it's tough it's tough yeah it is yeah look um i think that will probably do for today's show uh notwithstanding if you're new to our organization you haven't speak, spoken to a quiche then why don't you do a two minute quick video call to him so you can have that whole awkward um moment of yeah hi i'm a quiche uh <laughs> I, I did that last week to someone actually <laughs> <laughs> um and hopefully when the podcast comes out later in the week on Friday's show, the weather's a little bit cooler. <laughs> Hopefully. Let's see. <laughs>